Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Cybersecurity Recruiter Podcast. This was a LinkedIn Live with a guest with a man that needs no introduction whatsoever, Jason E. Street. For, for anyone that doesn't know, he's a world-famous hacker, featured in, featured in Time magazine, been in various different Vice magazine, author of Dissecting the Hack. He spoke at DEF CON. And Jason's had one hell of a career, very charismatic guy. And like I said, this was a LinkedIn Live from, from a few weeks back, and you're going to really enjoy this week's version of the show. But anyone that doesn't know Jason, I'll, I'll just give him a, a very brief info. So we start intro. So he he started back in the year 2000 as a, a network security admin for Compute Bank. He then went on to be a security network security admin for El Paso Global Networks. Jason was then an IT security consultant for Aptus Consulting, then went on to be an assistant vice president of InfoSec at the National Financial Institute. He was then the founder of a company called Hacker for Hire, which was strategic, which was was a stratagem one solutions company. Jason was then an InfoSec Ranger for Pony Express. He was then the VP of InfoSec for Sophia NY, based in New York. And best job title ever coming up here. He was the Chief Chaos Officer for TrueSec. And Jason has been recently appointed as the Chief Adversarial Officer for Secure Yeti. So I'll I'll let everyone listen to the show. This was a really good one. Like I said, it was a live episode. Jason openly admits he, he doesn't have a lot of filter. He says what he wants. He speaks his mind. So you're in for a treat this week, everyone. Enjoy the show. Really good listen. And thanks for tuning in. I think one of the main takeaways you take from that is you shouldn't give Jason the uh, power to choose his own employee title because it, it will not work out the way you expected. <laughs> yeah, so Jason, look, I've, I've done you a bit of an intro there. Um, I don't think I've done it justice. I've just spent a little bit of time doing some recon on you today, just using Google and, and YouTube. And there's so much stuff you do, public speaking, stuff with DEFCON. I know you do a lot of stuff in the community to help and to teach. So for those listening that, that don't know who you are, mate, um, I'll start where I always like to start, which is who are you and what do you get up to within the, the wonderful world of security, my friend? Okay. I always like to start out. It's um, just saying it's, I'm a hacker first. It's, and one of the things that I think people have a lot of misconceptions about when you say that is the one of the biggest ones is they equate it with criminality, which is wrong. It is if I was robbed by somebody with a gun, I don't automatically assume that they're a gunsmith or that they're an NRA member. They're someone who's using a tool to commit a crime. Unfortunately, computers make it very easy to commit crimes, but that doesn't mean they're hackers. It's, and another misconception followed upon that is this whole ridiculous idea that computers are part of hacking. It's like computers have nothing to do with hacking except for hackers are using computers as their new way to explore and to change their surroundings and to do things. 
back, Ada Lovelace was one of the first hackers in computers. It's like she built the first computer language before there were computers. And, and you look at Leonardo da Vinci, it's like he was an Uber hacker. It's like he would create like scuba gear and flying mechanisms. Ibrahim Hamin, who was a, a Muslim in the Palatate of Spain, 300 years before da Vinci, actually flew for over 10 minutes in his flying machine. He was a hacker. Hedley Lamar, who was, for some insulting reason, they called her an actress first, but what she was a hacker, and she is the reason why we have Bluetooth and Wi-Fi today, because she worked with the RF signals and chip technology. So hacking is a form of exploration for hackers now, but you can still be hacking and working with knitting or working with food or working with cars, just changing things and seeing that the way the world is. So yeah, so I'm a hacker in that sense. One of the things that I like hacking is I like hacking security. It's I like figuring out how a, a bad person is going to do something and find ways to stop them. And I like to mimic those kind of attacks so I can educate people before they actually happen to them. So they will be better prepared. I came from a very uh, traumatic childhood. So it's, I was broken in such a wonderful way where it's, I love it when bad guys have bad days. It's, I didn't grow up to be the monster I was raised to be. It's like, I went to, I wanted to be the one who actually stopped them from occurring. And that's what I've done. That's what I've dedicated my life to doing is just helping people understand what their threats are out there and better prepare them for it so they can protect themselves and protect their networks and protect their companies, but also mostly themselves from these kind of attacks. Yeah, no, thank you, Jason. It's, it's a really good, it's a really, it's a really good point And it's a really good, well-rounded explanation of, of what an ethical hacker is. And it's nice to get an insight into your mindset and your ethos when it comes to that. It, it brings me on quite nicely to my, to, to my next question, my friend. And listen, you, you are massively qualified to answer this next question. I've been consulted for the for the FBI and the Secret Service, and that's all in the public domain for everyone listening. I know you've got huge amounts of experience and leading teams. And the, the question is, Jason, for, for everyone listening and uh, for when it goes out on, on YouTube and Spotify and all the rest of it, for those that will be listening then, in today's market, what do you think separates uh, an okay or an average ethical hacker from a you know, to, to what makes an what makes an absolutely exceptional one? What do you think of the the differences, and and what can the listeners take from you in relation mm -hmm. to that? First of all, it's I, I never designate uh, ethical hacking. It's I am you do not go and choose ethical dentist. It's you never look for a good ethical banker. It's like you look for a banker, you look for a dentist. It's saying ethical hacking is once again, sub, it is, it's a slight thing that we like to do in our society where that is right off the beginning is putting a connotation onto hacking in a negative. It's because now I have to defend my ethicalness against people to make sure that they know that I'm an ethical hacker. No, I'm a hacker. If I commit a crime, then I'm a criminal. It's, and it's the same thing when people talk about black hat hacking or white hat hacking. First of all, it's, I don't going through a racist trope that was used since the 1950s to designate good and bad. And also my head is too fat to wear hats. So I'm personally offended by that. It's if I went to a bank and this is the way I explain it with ethics and black hat and white hat is that if I went to a bank and my personal banking finance manager that I go to every month 
to talk to you about my business. And I find out that in that previous month, since my last visit, he was arrested for embezzlement and money laundering. I don't go to my new banking financial manager and say, are you a black hat banker or a white hat banker? It's, you don't need to ask that because it's like that person was a criminal. Same thing with hacking. It's I, and also there is no uh, better hacker or, or lesser hacker. It's, there's three things that make a hacker. Inspiration, uh, innovation, and imagination. It's like being able to look at the world. And basically what that is, if you really want to know the truth, is being a three-year-old. If you've ever been around a three-year-old and you've seen them, like, why is it that way? Why do you do that? Who's that? What does that go? Where does it go? Why can't I do it this way? I want to do it this way. I know you tell me that it's supposed to be done this way, but let's try to do it this way because I think we can do it this way. It's, and that is, in essence, hacking. It's like having that native curiosity and inquisitiveness of just asking questions and trying to do things in ways that you see or envision and trying to find a way to make it happen or seeing the world and trying to take it apart so you can better understand it. And those who survive the industrialized schooling and the, their peer groups and their family peer groups of trying to break them down to make them conform to society, those who withstand that till they're around 18 or 20, they become the hackers that you see today. It's, but it's still just retaining that three-year-old curiosity innovation and just inquisitiveness to just try to make things the way that you see it and trying to always question and trying to change things for the better. So I can't say, I don't know how to program. I don't think you have to be a programmer to be a hacker. You don't have to know this to be a hacker. You don't need to know that to be a hacker. That's gatekeeping. And one of the things I say about gatekeeping is I'm a mother. Or it's screw the gate. I'll jump the fence. I'll go under the fence. It's like Neo. There is no gate. There is no spoon. Just do it and don't self gatekeep. Don't try to limit yourself. It's try to go out and explore and just try to like, and I'm where I'm at because I fail a lot, but I've always failed one less time than I try. And that is the only reason why I'm at where I'm at right now. Because it's, I didn't get here through successes. I got here through failures. Yeah. Jason, I love that. Thank, thank you, mate. And, and I, I just think so much of success is, is about mindset. And exactly what you've just said today, you know, like fail your way to success and, and, and fail a lot. And I think that's quite poignant at the moment. It's an interesting market at the moment. Some, see, there's, there's a lot going on. I think there's people having good times, but there's also people having some real tough times. So I think hearing words like that will be quite kind of, motivational inspiration for people but going back to the hacking so essentially so inspiration innovation imagination so you're basically saying don't have that beaten out of your life no matter what anyone says don't lose that really keep being persistent really keep pushing don't be afraid to break the rules and really don't lose those that kind of attitude that we all had when we were so much younger yeah a hundred percent it's like the the thing that we do is no hacker has ever created a vulnerability in someone else's program or system. What they've done is they've discovered it. They uncovered that vulnerability. And the most reason why most people know about it is because usually a hacker who was doing the right thing is explaining it to the people that created the program and explaining to them how it needs to get fixed. 
it's that's what we do we're just and that's one of the things it's like the like about computers is that it offers a way to explore in so many different unique ways it's like there's so many things that are connected to computers and through programming it's and that is the reason why hackers gravitate toward it because it is just such a limitless possibilities of things that can be created and be done these days. And that is where you're seeing a lot of it being focused on. But there is also, if you look in space and look at the, what they're doing at, at NASA and looking at other space uh, agencies, it's, that's a lot of hacking going on right there. If you think that Apollo 11 got back down safely because they followed procedure, it's like you are sorely mistaken. They hacked their, their rescue. They hacked their way to getting things working. It's like, and, and we call it different things, but that's exactly what it was. It's like when the guy said, it's, I don't care how it was supposed to work. Tell me what we can do with it. It's that's the hacker credo. It's don't tell me what my limitations are. I'm going to try to see what I can make and what can be possible. Hmm. Thank you, mate. No, brilliant, Jason. You mentioned there about um, staying strong in time, failing a lot. I know before we, we came on air, talking a little bit about your, your background, you didn't particularly grow up with, with much. You've, you've done everything off your, off your own back. What? Uh, I'm presuming, you know, at the minute, mate, to, to look at you now, it, it looks like a lot of fun kind of over, um, over social, whether it's LinkedIn or, or Instagram. And I just wanted to say, Jason, when, when what have you gone through eight tough times breaking into security? Was it difficult for you? Was it easy? What kind of tough times have you had along the way? And what tips have you got for the listeners to overcome that if they're going through tough times within hacking or within oh, yeah. security? Yeah, I yeah I started out. I'm a high school dropout. I used to live behind a dumpster. I come from a family who was extremely poor. It's who didn't start out that way, but my dad had a, a medical condition. He lost his job. So uh, before you knew it, we were besides going on family vacations to other states. We were now on food stamps, and the government cheese is amazingly tasteful. I still miss the grilled cheese sandwiches. And, and I will tell you this, it's getting into security was not that big of a deal for me because it's like someone, Tim Smith, it's like you, I, I will always remember and always explain to anyone that wants to listen about what a wonderful man he was to actually get me from doing IT help desk support into information security and uh, started me out as a network security administrator. And I just took to it. I just enjoyed it. He encouraged that. When I started going, getting more involved with the hacking community and the and I wasn't the greatest way to do it. It's like, I'm a little bit on the spec. Okay. I'm a lot of on the spectrum. And if I, and I did not approach, I was very awkward, very approaching the, the community the wrong way when I first started out. And so I got a lot of people who were saying, you don't, belong or you don't know this stuff or you're not technical enough and it was very discouraging but i've never heard i, I say worse stuff about myself before 10 a.m than most of these idiots could actually even think of it's I, I didn't really let it stop me i just i've succeeded through a lot of spite because there's so many people who i want to prove wrong and it's i'm just petty af it's i just love the fact that i'm still succeeding and it's and it makes these people mad and I think one of the key things that you have to understand when you're getting involved in security is that they've got, you get this unhealthy obsession of trying to know everything or thinking that you don't know enough. And that's not true. It's, we're always going to keep learning. It's like it, 
the one person that scares me the most is a person who has nothing else to learn, who is the subject matter expert. And so therefore what they say is true. That is terrifying. I, I say straight out, it's like always be learning and always be trying to find out uh, that's horrible English, but then in high school dropout, but always just listen to others and try to learn from others and then share what you know with them. And don't ever think that more about one subject than someone else. It's that's one of the key things to always remember is that we're the best thing I, I love about the hacking community and the information security community is that we're in it with like always willing to educate, always willing to help. And it's like always ready to show something. There's some bad apples there, of course, but overall, I think it's mostly good. So when you're starting out in information security, it's like this field is so broad. It's don't just say this is the most well-paying career It's because that's going to end badly for you. Find the things that you're interested in. It's when you think about information security, people all automatically say, I want to be blue team or I want to be red team. That doesn't mean anything. It's like being blue team means doing firewall administration, doing network segmentation, doing IDS, doing SOC analysts, doing threat hunting, doing DFIR doing so many policy review, doing those kinds, there's so many different fields that you can do within blue team, within the defensive side of security. Do red team, it's, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. What are you talking about? Are you talking about malware analysis? Are you talking about malware creation? Are you talking about physical compromise? Are you talking about uh, website vulnerability scanning? Are you talking about network penetration testing? It's like, are you talking about exploit development? It's, there are so many different fields. Find the one that makes you curious. Find the one that makes you want to learn more about it and then start learning that and then finding a job that will help you do that more. Cool. Thank you, mate. Brilliant. So there's a few things I just want to, I want to unpack there. And I, I, I think for everyone listening, so just to put that in perspective, like, Again, so people, when you first got into the industry, Jason, were saying to you, you don't belong here. So I think for everyone listening, like, obviously you've overcome that, mate, and, and fair play to you. So for anyone listening that's maybe been rejected on an interview or maybe been, been laid off recently or going through some tough times, one thing I've learned from, having, from doing this podcast, and I didn't realize this would happen, some of the most successful people in the industry, especially in the early days, found it really tough. So I think for anyone listening, just if you find that it's tough in the early stage, from what? early stages, from what I can say, um, that's pretty normal. Um, you mentioned, Jason, don't worry if you feel like you don't know everything. It's a bit of a, the scariest moment is someone that calls themselves an expert and says, and thinks they don't need to learn anymore. So if you have those feelings of imposter syndrome, or you feel like you don't know enough, then that sounds like a pretty good thing as well. And the last thing you just said there, mate, was, was find an aspect of security that really genuinely passionate about, genuinely interested at times it's going to get so that kind of curiosity and passion is really going to carry you through. Did you, on my note, Jess, have you got any tips for any uh, for kind of, would you cry a few things or would you do a few things in simulated environments online or would you talk to your network? How, how would you really work out what that passion is within security for people listening that aren't sure? I tell people, it's like when I give advice on looking for a job, it's I always tell them to start out with, always start out trying to do blue teaming. Always try to start out working for a company or an organization, trying to do the defensive side of it, trying to learn how to protect the organizations. If you want to do red teaming, you want to do on the offensive side, that's fine and good, but you should always learn what you're going to be uh, attacking. 
And you, the best way to do that is to start out for the first four or five years, at least doing the blue team side, learning the, learning how it works, getting those things down. It's like understanding how a business operates and defends themselves will make you better when you try to attack them. People think that red teaming is about, I'm in there to break stuff and this, and I'm just, I'm there to show them where everything's broken. And I'm like, I'm so tired just of this toxic male masculinity of red teaming, where they've got to be going in there and, and showing them what it's like, that's ridiculous. It's like red team only exists to make the blue team better. Your job is there to validate their security, not trying to destroy it. It's you're trying to do to make it better, show them where they've succeeded, show them where they've done well, and then show them where they can improve their security, because that is your only function. So many people that work on the red team stress so much about programming and understanding network topology and not enough about how to understand empathy and communication skills and report writing so they can actually get those changes effectively done that they find. These companies are getting a, a pen test every day of the week. They're not paying you for the pen test. They're paying you for the report. And the way that you effectively communicate to management on why they need to, to actually spend money to make these changes and put these things in place. That's what your, your job is, not to just break it. If you just break it and you don't know how to fix it or communicate in a way that they will do those changes, then you've wasted everybody's money and time. Mm -hmm. So it's, so that's one of the key things is that we just need to understand that there's too many different ways to to go about getting into this industry to say this is the right way and when we talk about diversity in in this industry we talk about just mainly it's just so limited to just gender or it's limited to region or melatonin quotient and it's like when when in actuality diversity is coming from different economic backgrounds diversity is coming from different jobs different diversity from different ages because every single person that is interested in information security belongs in information security, period. It's every new voice, every diverse background, what you think may be something that holds you back is actually what sets you apart and helps you bring in a different facet to security. We need more diversity uh, and we need our diversity to be more diverse, to be honest. It's we need all these different voices because we need to be able to see the problem from different aspects. The way that I see things are not going to be the way other people will see them because I'm seeing it from my background, from my job background, from how I was raised and how I lived in society, which will mm -hmm. color the way that I, I see the world or, and the problems. So mm -hmm. we need that kind of thing. So just remember that you've got something to contribute to the industry it's, it's not just about your how good you are at python or ruby is or if you can do a good metasploit module it's like can you see the problems in a way and communicate them so people go and say oh that is the problem yes we need to fix that huge yeah brilliant jason thank you mate and you, you've touched upon two major points there communication and diversity and, and ultimately it all links to to, 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 to enhancing security postures. And, and you mentioned it really nicely when you thought about the, the red team. And it, it's, if people want to go in and all they're thinking about is popping shells and privesque and la lateral movement and owning a system, is that really 
keeping the goal in mind of enhancing the overall security posture? Like you say, probably not. And yeah, we mentioned that you mentioned diversity, Jason. You mentioned communication. I'd like to touch upon both. And I think on the communication piece, if we come to that first, obviously, unless you're going to do bug bounty on your own on a self-employed basis, communication in the commercial world in every aspect of security is absolutely imperative, whether it's communicating in a written form and articulating yourself or whether it's communicating to a non-technical or even technical people. Communication is key and it's intrinsically linked to career growth and career progression within security. Mate, by the way, your commu communication skills are mega. If I'm listening now thinking, how do I get my communication skills like Jason's? What tips have you got for me? Oh my gosh. I'm not, yeah, I, I, I am not educated. Like I said, I have no formal education on stuff like that. Me, it's just be on the spectrum and learn how to mask really well. But when I'm not masking it, I'm very nonverbal and it shows. I say that the key thing to do is to learn communication skills is like to either take an impromptu class to like actually go and take a, a course or a night course or like an online course on how uh, to do better communication skills, how to develop more empathy and understanding of others, because it doesn't matter how good you are at breaking something if you can't effectively communicate it to the people that you need to talk to. We get this thing where it's, we think that management is stupid. Management doesn't understand what we're trying to say. They're just dumb. No mother, they are not dumb. They're paying you to teach them and educate them and communicate in a way that they understand. Their job is not to learn all the techno babble that you're going to be spewing so they can understand it and then figure it out. Your job is to translate it and communicate it in a way in every common day language, every just in ways that they can relate to and understand so you can affect that change. It's not their d duty, it is yours to do the communication and, and going more than halfway when discussing this stuff and talking to them. It would behoove us to actually just learn how to just better have better conversations, how to learn to understand. It's one of the things where I tell people like, Hacker, helper, it's like hugger, it's like inhuman. It's, it's just learning how to be better at just being a decent human being and understanding that, okay, I may be mad at this person, but what else is this person going through? What else are they responsible for? I'm very frustrated with management pushing down and saying no and pushing, but what's their budget like? What do they consider to be what they're really trying to protect? Am I trying to give them findings on how to protect? what they really do to operate their business and keep it afloat? Or am I just going over the top 10 vulnerabilities and showing them things that if they went down or were compromised would not impact their company in a negative way? It's, and if, if that's the case, how do I impart that information so they will take it seriously and still fix it because it could lead to a way into what they consider important? Yeah, thank you, Jason. And yeah, essentially, just to unpack that a bit more as well, it's like I say, looking at things from the other side, taking a step back, like having more of a helicopter view of things. I like we said as well about take a night course, exercise that muscle. If you think that you can just be naturally just fantastic communicator, look, maybe some people in the world are, but I would imagine most people have got to exercise that muscle. The first time you do something, typically you're never great at it. Like you said earlier, Jason, you've got to fail a few times to get good at something. So I think don't expect to be great at first and really hone those skills and, and, and practice them. Jason, on 
on, on, on the diversity thing, mate, um, this might be a, a question to, to, to answer, mate, so, so forgive me, but more needs to be done. Even if, obviously, there's a massive issue of fairness there, but even if we take the fairness bit out of it for a second, and obviously just from a security posture standpoint, like you said, people view things in different ways. So we need security for fairness, but we need security for security. But the, the long-winded way of me asking this question, mate, is what, what can we do to make it better? Okay, what we can do to make it better, not have so many white guys dictating what security policy is and what executive management should be doing. It's because that's all about confirmation bias. And I tell people, and I've said this on stage in several different countries, it's like the only reason why you should have well, white male privilege and use it is to talk about how bad white male privilege is. We need to understand that when there's a certain demographic of people that are in the, who are dictating the policies, who are, who are driving the change. The problem is they're seeing that problem in the way that they all agree on because they all see it the same way. That's not good for the company. That's not good for society. It is not good for anyone, including the people that are making those changes because they are harming themselves. It's, I think one of the biggest things that we can do is understand that just because this is the way it's always been, or just because you don't see the problem, doesn't mean that there isn't a problem. It just means that you have the privilege of not having to recognize it or see it. It's like other people have to deal with it every day. And it's, and that's a problem. And so what we need to do is try to understand that it's like, it's okay to be able to say, this is not the way it should be. It's I don't feel guilty or bad because I'm a white guy. It's like, what I do is I understand that there is a problem that I'm getting certain advantages that I did not earn. It's because of the way that I look and the way that I am that would not have been afforded to other people. And that is wrong. That's not my fault, but I still need to acknowledge that, that fault. And I need to be able to speak out on it because mm. that's the worst thing is we don't like to speak out mm. things that are, because let's face it, it's pretty good right now for me. It's in people keep acting like this whole thing is pie. Because, oh, if I share more of this pie to others, it's I'm not going to, there'll be less for me. It's if I start allowing other people and stop being biased based on their appearance or what I perceive them to be, th then I might cheat myself out of opportunities. That's ridiculous. There is, this is like more like regular mathematical pie. It's endless. It's like there's enough pie for everybody. It's, and if you are so afraid of being judged on your merits and your skills, then you already understand that there's a problem and you're part of it. It's because it's benefiting you. And we don't like to make changes when they no longer benefit us. And that's a problem because it's that when it needs to be changed the most. I shouldn't have things presented in a way that benefits me more than it benefits someone else. Is I should be able to stand based on my skills and what I can do because that other person 
is having to be withstand way more scrutiny, way more hurdles to try to get to the same place that I am automatically given that perception that I'm going to be good at. It's, and that's not fair. Yeah. So like I said, diversity is, we need more diversity in our diversity. We need to be more diverse. It's, and, and like I said, we need to stop trying to put everything in little bitty boxes and just say, what can you do? What do you know? And how can that help? Everything else is irrelevant. It's, I am so tired of us looking at the, this little, I call our bodies, we're just like meat robots. Our consciousness is the pilot inside this meat robot. I don't care the paint job on your robot. I don't care what mechanical parts that you have assigned or that you've rearranged or you've changed. It's that's your robot, not mine. It's I don't care what other robots you want to couple with. It's none of my business. It's like it's I don't care who the manufacturer is It's or who you think the manufacturer is. We're just meet robots. Start understanding. I want to talk to your consciousness in the pilot and understand those things. I'm not going to be hung up on the chassis. It's, I'd rather talk to the pilot. Cool. Jason, thank you, Ray. So just to, just to round up, so diversity, talk about it more. Look at leadership. It starts at the top. And no, security. Wait, wait, excuse me. Yeah. Hold on. I'm sorry. Okay. White people need to talk about it more because that's the problem. They're not talking about it more and no one's listening enough when other people talk about it. One of the things that I like to do on Twitter when someone is bringing something out, a person of color or a woman that's like with an issue, I don't try to quote, retweet, and try to amplify by adding my voice. I'm just going to retweet it and amplify their voice. That's my job. My job is not to be speaking. My job is to be listening and promoting those voices. So that reaches a wider audience because those are the people that need to be speaking on it not me. It's I'm the one that's supposed to be using what I have to amplify those other voices, not co-opt it. Cool. Jason, thank you, mate. And I love the way you just speak. See, it needs to be spoken about more. And some people are dead. Some people are too scared to speak about it. And like I say, cl clearly you're not, mate. And Riley, so. I don't yeah. filter, dude. It's Good. I used to live behind a dumpster. There ain't nothing that nobody can do that's going to make it worse than where I, my worst, my best day then is, is 2000 times better than my worst day now. So come at me, bro. It's like, yeah. it's, it's not going to work out well for them. Yeah. Good, good. And listen, everyone asking questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. At the end, we are going to do a Q and A for, for, with Jason. Jason said he's going to do it. So please, please save your questions. Yes. I'll stay yeah. on as long as necessary, just because I, I, I think it's important that we also get those questions. And we answer those as well. Yeah, definitely, mate. So I'm just going to move on to a quote. So this is from the nationalnews.com. And I'll just read it word for word how the article read. One of his most intense hacking jobs was in Kingston, Jamaica, where he pretended to be a TV producer and duped a charity organization. So, mate, your social engineering skills are obviously pretty slick, mate. So I think you're, again, pretty qualified to answer this one. How do we get good at social engineering? We were all, we're all social engineers. That's one of the things. It's not like we need to get good at social engineer. We just need to recognize when we're doing it. If you've ever been, if you've ever been on a first date, 
congratulations. You've been socially, you've been socially engineered and you are a social engineer. It's because that's nothing but a first date trying to social engineer the person going, oh yes, I'm way more put together than I appear. Oh yes, this is how successful I am. These are the things that if you've ever had to buy a car, you've been socially engineered. It's like uh, social engineering happens every time on these ad breaks. It's they're trying to social engineer you to get you to buy these things. Children, it's, as a newborn, you were a social engineer. It's like you realized when you cried, you got what you wanted. It's so you learned how to do that more, how to manipulate the environment around you and stuff because you weren't able to change it yourself. That's social engineering. The best way to do social engineering is to understand that when you do it, you're not affecting a computer, you're affecting people. You're, you could be potentially damaging another human being or hurting them in ways that you didn't intend. So it's very careful how you do social engineering. The Jamaica thing, I felt horrible about that one because of the fact that I, they really believed they were going to be on television. I halfway believed it by the half, half time I was finished with it. I felt horrible, but it was to better protect them. It was, and that's what I tell myself. It was to show them how unscrupulous people will be. And that is the reason why social engineering is so important. It's because as you look and with more AI, with more people doing like the uh, LinkedIn attack through MGM Grand, it's like social engineering is going to keep being one of the main factors of attack because as our technology improves, the human is still being under um, utilized and not funded or invested in properly. And so therefore they are going to be how the attacker tries to get in. We need to stop looking at technology, trying to protect the people and start educating our workforce to be better able to protect the technology. Technology should not be the wall, okay? Trust me, it's being from America, walls don't work. It's what we need is the technology to be a safety net. It needs to be a safety net. So when the human fails as the first line of defense, the computer and the technology can be there to catch it as a safety net. If we make it where the technology is the, the bulwark and the defenses, and when it gets compromised, which it will just as easily as a human, it's then the human is unprepared for that event. So we need to switch it and start investing more in our people and educating them on what their responsibilities are. It's like from day one and how they're part of the security program and what the responsibilities are as part of the security program and how to better do their job assignment, which is securing what they're doing. And part of their job role is security. They don't see it that way. They don't understand that function that they're supposed to be doing. That's not their fault. That's information security's fault. That's something that we failed them on, not them failing us. It's not stupid user clicked on a link. Stupid user went to a website. Stupid information security didn't properly train their users. Yeah, cool, Jason. Thank you, mate. So always looking at things from the other people perspective. It ties back in with the communication piece as well, which is what you said earlier. You mentioned that education, security awareness. I know you're doing security awareness classes for companies at the minute. We were talking about it just earlier today. And I know you're teaching at Black Hat and DEFCON. 
what I want to ask you, Jason, is what what kind of um, do you see any any kind of do you have any advice for learning in an optimal way, or do you see people struggling to pick different things up, or is there any advice for people that are trying to absorb new information? Obviously, you've got a lot of knowledge when you're passing that on. Is there anything that you see areas where people struggle that could that could help the listeners? Yes, I I will say the biggest advice is not to do it the way that other people tell you is the best way. If you are better as a visual retentive person where you like when you see videos and you're able to 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 catch up on it, watch YouTube videos. There's plenty of YouTube videos out there of people that are showing you how to do security or learn different skills to learn different aspects of information security. And they're doing instructional videos. They're doing like hour long classes, like multiple hour classes, day long classes on that for free on YouTube. It's if you're someone that is, you need to read and you need to be able to like, be able to write something down, then go in and get, there are books out there. There are plenty of different publishing companies. No Stars Press has an amazing amount of wonderful books available for hacking and information security. It's like for different fields, for different niches in the industry. It's get those books and learn them and, and try to figure it out. Look at some of the free resources uh, for documentation that you can get and download. The Sands Reading Room is one example. It's like learn to find out the, where those documentations are and then read them that way. Find the way that makes it easy for you to learn, but you start off at Google. You start off at Google by Googling what you're interested in, what is out there, what you think you can do. It's if you're really good at networking, if you're really good with numbers, if you're good with numbers, I, I'm jealous of you because I suck at math. That's why I've got a calculator on my watch. But I will tell you this, if, if, if you're good with numbers, you could be doing uh, DFIR, you could be doing forensics, you could be packet inspection, network analysis, you could be working for a SOC all these different opportunities and they all deal with math it's if you're someone that that is more theatrical more a people person you can be doing stuff with auditing you can be doing stuff with auto creation or social engineering or actually interacting and communicating with management so look for what you're good at and then find out what you want to do and what you enjoy doing then you can find someone to pay you for it it's to me, that is the biggest thing. It's I could be at a job now making more money. It's like I would not be having as much fun or being with people that I'm surrounded with that I currently really enjoy being with. It's And I know it's a cliche, but trust me, as someone who, who used who came from a program, it's money is nice, but I'm not going to be on my deathbed thinking that I didn't make enough money. It's, did I enjoy myself? Did I have a good life? Did I help others? Did other people think kindly of me? Did I do a good job? Did I do what was necessary and what was needed to help? It's, did I affect positive change before I left? That's what I'm going to be thinking about. Not, I should have got another title or I should, you know, gotten more money. That's not your last thoughts are going to be, I promise you. It's so concentrate on what you enjoy, what will help you enjoy your life more. And then you find someone to pay for it. Cool. Thank you, mate. And for everyone listening, we'll get, you mentioned the Sam's reading room. You mentioned another book there, Jason. We'll get, when this goes out, we'll get the links to 
everything you've okay. mentioned in the in, in in the show notes. So uh, thank you, mate. Just one more question from me, then we'll go to questions, Jason. You were talking yeah. about an AI website that you built. You used an AI, some AI techniques. Oh, yeah. You built a website and you turned it into yes. turned it into a, a hacking tool. Tell me and the listeners about that, mate, because that sounds like an interesting one. My uh, wonderful friend, I've known for over a decade, Casey, is also the owner of the company I work for now, Secure Yeti. And he pushed me out of my comfort zone to start doing phishing attacks for a client. And I, I had a very limited time to start it. And I didn't know really, I just was, I have very bad self-confidence sometimes. It's I have very low self-esteem. It's like I suffer from imposter syndrome. I really do think that one of the biggest things I've done is, is fake people out to think that I know what I'm doing. I knew I needed help getting all this stuff created. I had about five hours before I had to start executing the attack. I registered a website that I thought would be really good to trick people to going. And then I created this pathway on it. And it's for each person I was targeting. I put a directory in the website of their last name. So they would go to the website, then slash their last name. That is terrifying. When someone calls you and says, I need you to, we have questions about this issue that we're dealing with and we're investigating. Can you go to this website.com slash your last name? It's so, yeah, I was successful at that attack. But then I realized, what if someone tries to go to the root directory? That wouldn't have worked out so well. That would have been my simulated-adversary.com website. They would know something was up. It's like they wouldn't have gone any further. So I knew I needed to, on that website, make it look like a legitimate business. I suck at writing biographies or service descriptions. I'm terrible at writing abstracts. It's like for conferences. I went to ChatGPT and I said, here's a fictional person. Make this bio. Here's some of the key points about them. These are the three services they do. Give me blurbs for these three services. Give me this information. So I had them create, basically, I used, uh, this person does not exist to create the whole executive management team. I created bios for all of them. I created service announcements. One of the funniest things is I also did, because I'm a hacker and I'm a troll and I'm 12, I actually did the whole website as a troll for 1984, George Orwell. All the executive team members had names from the book. Winston Jones was the CEO instead of Winston Smith. It's, and I just had all these different characters. They're based off of, their address was off of Oceana Drive. He was born August 4th, which was 84. All the numbers for the address and the phone numbers were 1980, a variation of 1984. And so it was pretty funny. So, so it bypasses all the web filters. It bypasses email filters because it looks like a legitimate business. And I also had ChatGPT create this code that anybody that goes to a certain directory that I point them to, it will automatically redirect them to a picture that talks to them about how to better prepare themselves and protect themselves from phishing attacks and social engineering attacks. Because I'm about education, not exploitation. It didn't launch anything malicious. It didn't try to exploit their network. It just tried to educate them. But when it did that, it would then also, without their knowledge, copy their user agent string, their IP address, where they came from, what operating system, what web browser, and it would email me that information. So I would have a flag to show the client 
yes, they did click on it. This is the this information is what I got them uh, to show that something could have happened bad. And I had a sort of social engineer, ChatGPT, to help me with a lot of this because it was hilarious. Because I was literally social engineering AI, so AI could help me better social engineer people. But yeah, so I, that's the whole way. And I don't do social engineering with AI. Everybody else was talking about AI social engineering. It's what I did was I just used it to help enhance what I, I can, what I could do. AI is not going to be the savior or going to be the end all be all. It's like AI is supposed to enhance what you already know and help you with those things. But it's going to have to be you that utilizes it properly to make it work. Brilliant, mate. We, uh, we got a lot of thumbs up emojis when you were talking then, mate. There will be feedback from everyone yeah. listening. So thank you, mate. Well, well, Josie, I'm going to get you up and ask, um, get you up for a, for a question, my friend. I'm just going to get you up yep. onto the virtual You better have Josiah. You better have Josiah first because he's yeah, the most patient. Josiah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how you doing, my friend? I'm doing okay. <laughs> thank you so much. And I do appreciate what you guys are doing. Thomas, thank you. Thank you. I've been on, the, on LinkedIn forever, but uh, I never really crossed paths with you. And then this majestic gentleman, Justin East Street, man, he speaks my language. Yeah. So, Justin, thank you so much for reaching the level of consciousness. Thank you so much for speaking truth to power. My name is Josiah. I'm in this space. I've been in this space for a long time. I've been trying to find a choir. Yes, now I've found it. So what's next? So I have the greatest opportunity of my life to be in this space. I learned as I grow in this space, just like you did. And I saw the obstacles that people that look like me faced. And it was very challenging. Like you under the radar of scrutiny, it doesn't matter what talents you bring to the table. As a result of that, after 20 years in my career, I started to teach what tech is a program that we run where we teach the underserved communities in cybersecurity because we understand that hatchet brings a lot of skill sets. I know that for a fact, because I was in the hood, I see how they can manipulate stuff and maneuver stuff. And I was like, this skill set can come to the table. But the larger group of the people that have the web without in this space, I don't know how they feel about that until I started listening to you, Jason, what you were saying. I was like, okay, it's about time now. So Jason, what can you do? What can we do? We tired of waiting and listening and, 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 and waiting for someone to notice us. We tired of that. We got the skills. What can we do so I can pipeline my learners to the field since I don't have control over the work environment, but I do have control over what they'll learn. What can we do? Thank you. I will give you one of the biggest advice that I give uh, to people of color and to women of any shade of melatonin is that this is the best part of when you're job seeking, you're looking for a job, you, they need to learn how to channel their inner mediocre white dude. Okay. Because I'm a mediocre white dude. It's, and I promise you when I go on a job interview and they ask me if I know something and if I don't really know it, I'm not going to self-gate. I'm not going to be, oh, yeah, I don't really know that very well. No, mother. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know very well, but you give me a night. It's like I can Google that. I can get the information. And the best part is I'll be able to learn it the way you want me to learn it. I never give a no. It's too many 
women and people of color, they self keep way worse than any other person and adversary they're going to come up with. They will not apply for a job because they don't check all the boxes. They're like, I don't really know that technology very well. I don't think that job's good for me. Do you think that ever stopped me? It's because they don't have, I don't have all the, no. It's you've got to channel that confidence to just say, hey, it's, I know that I can do it. It's, I don't care what their requirements are. They need me in this job. It's, and I can do the stuff that, that needs to get done. And I can learn what I don't know yet. But they are so busy listening to that voice. Oh, I don't want to know about, no. I don't know that very well. They're going to find out. They're going to question me. Yes. But I guarantee you, people like me, when I go in that job interview that I'm not qualified for, it's, I'm going to be freaking just saying, oh, yeah, I got this. It's, I know this. It's, I can do this. It's, they need to start channeling that energy and start understanding that the worst gatekeeping happens with themselves. It's like they keep trying to fill all the check boxes. They keep thinking that they're not good enough or that they don't know enough. Guess what? They're right. And so is every person who's interviewing them. They don't know enough. They still need to learn stuff. It's, it's not going to be a, a, a binary one-off solution, one or a zero. It's, you've got to understand that it's, do you have the passion? Are you energized? Are you really driven to try to get this job? Then get the interview. Show that interview your passion and your drive to do the job. And nine times out of 10, if that interviewer isn't an a-hole, they're going to see that drive and they're going to realize that's the biggest qualification that they needed. And you'll get the job that way. It's so do the paper route and do the things that get you the checkbox to get you the interview. But you got to have it and you got to want it. And it's don't listen to yourself saying that you're not qualified for something. Don't listen to others, especially when they say you're not qualified for something. Half the people in these jobs are not qualified for what they're doing. Look at all the bankers in 2008. It's, and we gave them, they're not qualified for what they were doing. It's we're all making this up as we go along. It's like, why should you be any different than me when trying to reach those goals? Brilliant, mate. Does that answer your question, my friend? Is that helpful? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Some of my students are here. They're listening. Thank you so much for how you put it. We appreciate that. No worries. Thank you. Thank you for your question, my friend. Thank you. Any other? I think there was a couple more questions. Yeah. Think there was. Please. All right. Let's go with Bob. You coming up, Bob? Just, just trying to work this out. One second. Hey, Bob. How you doing, man? Doing very well. And yourself? Very well, thank you. You got a question for Jason? I, I do have one indeed. I've been in the technical recruiting field for almost four decades now. And one of my specialties over the years has been working with really deep technologists. I mean, I work with the original Sun Microsystems people, all the this original cyberpunks and all the way on up to current technology folks as well. And I find your, your comment and that of the moderator here really refreshing. It's all about getting the job done. As you can probably imagine, me being in the business for over 40 years and looking like I'm doing, I get a lot of, of problems with ageism. 
And I was wondering if you had any specific hacks as a work, considering myself a hacker as well for many years, including biohacking, music hacking, all sorts of other stuff. And uh, Laura, if you had any specific hacks you could recommend that have worked to counteract ageism, and I don't want to put up a fake photo, so I want to keep it legit. So I'm open to suggestions. I certainly appreciate any advice. Yeah. As someone who's 56 years old and been in the industry for 20 years, I tell you, I don't hide that fact because the fact that I'm 56 years old after all the different people that have tried to like make sure I didn't get to that birthday should frighten and scare everyone that's against me. It's because I'm still here. It's <laughs> like, so a great point. Yeah. So you need, you don't need to look at it as, as a, oh, this is a hindrance. It's, this should be something to let you know that as I have survived through this industry, I have learned this industry. I was there when it started. I understand the evolution of it. I understand where it's been. So I know exactly how it's evolving and what it's evolving to, because I was there when it started the evolution. It's that's not a hindrance. It's like people say it's, oh, you know, this technology changes and it's, yeah, but technology changes every five years or so. Does that mean you're obsolete in five years? I don't think so. And if you're obsolete in five years, you should really be wondering how I've been able to manage to not be obsolete for over 20. It's okay, like let, me, let, me, let me focus the question a bit then. Any particular tips or advice for getting past gatekeepers who have no concept of this and are basically looking uh, for to hire somebody just like themselves? I would say the best part about it is, and what you stick to is the experience yeah. and the adaptability saying, I've been able to adapt to this technology and this, and it's like, and I started here, I've learned this other technology and, ex and expound on the fact of your ability to easily adapt to the new technology, to easily be able to go and say, every time there's been a new iteration, I've been on it. It's like, I started with the dot yeah. matrix printer. It's like, I can do, I, and I've been here with AI. That's a, that's really interesting idea. It's a twist on what I've recently tried to do with my summary on my LinkedIn profile. I placed some pretty amazing people over the years. I placed the guy that invented Safari. I placed people that have saw, uh, saved be a billion dollar startups. I placed Ben Horowitz. The, the, the partner in Andreessen Horowitz many years ago, I got him the job that kept him in high tech before he went to Netscape and met Mark Andreessen. And, but the thing is, those don't seem to carry any weight except with people who know already. But I like the idea of the adaptability. That's a really interesting angle on uh, what you've been talking about. I will implement that immediately. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for your question. Brenya, how you doing? <laughs> I am good. Thank you for um, bringing me on the platform. Um, Jason, thank you so much. My question is this. In terms of teaching and briefing about AI, what is your, can you brief us on the fact that AI is being regulated, but not in a consistent way because it's not possible to regulate AI? Can you brief me your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? I'd yeah, like I think one of the biggest things about AI right now is we're not looking at it for what it is. It is literally um, a, just another iteration of technology. Do you know how many people lost their jobs in 1902 when they started rolling out 
electric street lamps. A whole bunch of people, a lot of gas lighters and, and, and lost their job because they were lighting the gas lamps. And I'm not talking about the bad gas lighters now. I'm talking about the ones that were doing an honest living of actually trying to light street lamps. And, but you know what happened? Some of those street lighters became electricians and started working on the electric lights. The horseless carriage devastated the blacksmith industry and the stagecoach industry. But you know what happened there? Some of those people that were blacksmiths became mechanics. There you go. Others, stagecoach drivers, became taxi drivers. There you go. AI is only going to replace your job if your job could already be replaced by a small shell script, okay? That's correct. AI is there to enhance what you can do. Electricity enhanced people's jobs, and people who adapted to that technology and made it do what they needed and help them with it. It's did it. We did not have seat belts by requirement and regulation, I think, until the 1970s. Right. Later. So, yeah. So, technology is legislation and rules and laws are always going to trail the technology. It's like you think horseless carriages were a menace to society. Back in 1915, it's like those things were like running around. There were no stop signs. There were no seat belts. Poor horses were startled left and right. It's like they're just going willy nilly. No speed limits. No left turn signals. It was just like just a free for all. It's like and like like but, bugs that had to be fixed. Exactly, but yeah. eventually the laws catch up. The regulations caught up enough to try to start making it a more cohesive technology that could be worked and used by everybody not just the people that understood it Wonderful. and that's where ai is going right now but the problem is technology has gotten to the point where it evolves way faster than humans are comfortable adapting to right. and that is the problem it's we can't adapt as fast as the technology as we could back then, because trust me, it was easy to adapt to new technology when you had to wait five years for the next breakthrough in car automotive. It's like now it's, I remember the, when I had my first a compact iPack and I was from the future mother, I was like invincible. It's like I had a screen interface and it was like, it was awesome. And now I look at this little square slab that is very unesthetically pleasing, but it is more powerful than launched people to the moons till like all the way through the eighties. And I forget that it makes phone calls, which was its original purpose. Yeah, it's, thank you. The technology is advance, advancing a lot faster, but eventually the laws will catch up and we're going to make a lot of bad laws and a lot of bad regulations first. And most of that's going to be driven by fear until we figure out more understanding because what people what humans don't understand they fear what they fear they try to destroy it's like we need to start making sure they understand what it is and yeah. get rid of that fear through education thank you and and that's my part thank you so much cool no thanks worries. for your question thanks for your question abdullah think, abdullah I, yeah abdullah i think you're yes. next bro uh, you're just coming up now abdullah Abdullah, how you doing, my friend? You okay, mate? It's your moment. 
Yeah. Uh, bottom right, bottom right of your screen, bro. If you can see the mute bottom right of your screen, it is there online. There you go. Yes. Yay. Oh, sorry about that. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on, uh, Thomas and Jason. And Jason, thanks for, sorry, Thomas, thanks for setting up this podcast. It uh, gives me some insights cybersecurity and stuff. I just have the one question, I think it was all like a two part questions. First is like, can you share any insights like about the future of cybersecurity and hacking trends and like, how do you up, stay updated on the latest cybersecurity threats and like, like trends and techniques? I know like working in the field, I'm sure you encounter lots of different threats, but for us, for, well, for me, who's not in the field as of yet, I was just wondering how would I keep updated in, the, in like for like latest trends, basically. Thank you. Uh, Yes, I, I would say one of the, the best ways that I use is Twitter. Uh, it's, and I'm always going to call it Twitter, by the way. Don't try to get me to say something. I don't care what billionaire man baby buys it. It's Twitter. And so uh, a lot of good security researchers are out there sharing information on Twitter. Also, there's the register.co.uk, I believe, which is an IT news source, Ars Technia. There, I am constantly looking through the news. It, I'm constantly following. I, I don't just follow 403 people. It's, I've got lists of different people that I will follow and that I'm looking at and I'm looking at their research and what announcements they're coming out with. And so that is one of the main ways that I keep up with it. And also when you're doing that, just understand you're not going to always be able, you're not going to be able to keep up. You're not going to be, the, the key thing is just yeah. you're going to try to find out as much as you can and be aware of it. Also, from the, not the news side, but if you want to see where some of the exploits and what are, what are being talked about, look at conference, hacking conference videos. DEF CON uh, is a major source of great talks. There are other conferences out there all over. There's uh, Nuit to Hack. There's Hack in the Box. There's, there's so many different conferences that, that put their videos out there. If you can look at what the researchers are saying and going in depth to on what they're uncovering, what they're discovering. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Cool. Thanks for your no question, worries. Abdullah. Thank you, my friend. No thank you. And I'll be here till the last question is answered. So. Uh, thank you, Jason. Mate. You're a legend. Thank yeah. you, bro. Uh, Swiffy, how you doing, mate? Hello, my friend. Can you, how you doing? Have you got a question for Jason? Hi, hi, everyone. How are you guys? Good, good. You okay, mate? Um, wow very uh, impressed with Jason. Um, men aspiring, so I'd say maybe junior, just learning. Uh, I'm new in this thing and wow, impressed of what the discussion is now. And um, currently working for the South African bank and um, currently shadowing ISOs and CISOs. And it has been a good learning journey for me. I just wanted to find out from Jason as an aspiring junior or professional, what are the, um, and what are the um, programs that I need to engage myself in? And also, is it the part that I've started? Is it the good one? Is it going to take me to where I want to be? Like just trying to find myself in the cyberspace. What are the um, What's the advice that you can give me? I will think for certifications, I do recommend people either have a degree or a certificate. I don't have any degrees, but it's like I did the certification route. 
I would start off with the Security Plus. It's it's not that expensive versus some of the other certifications that are out there. And it gives you a broad spectrum of different information security topics, sort of like the CISSP. It's like an, an inch deep, a mile wide, it's or a, a kilometer wide. It's like being done that. It's, so what you do is take the Security Plus, but also, especially if you want to start in defensive, you should take the Network Plus. Learn packet inspection. Learn how the packets work. Learn how the network works. Because when you learn the, the packet and the networking, you're learning IDS technology. You're learning uh, DFIR technology, incident response technology. You're learning firewall technology at the same time indirectly. So getting those two certs. But when I, uh, when I tell people, though, certs will get you in the door. Degree will get you in the door, okay? But yeah. three months time, it's what you do with the information and what you, the drive that you have and what you bring to the table is what's going to keep you the job. So sure. that's what you, that's what you need to understand. So it's like, I would straight out go with that. It's do the security plus first, do the network plus. There are plenty of resources online on YouTube that, that will, they go through the books and they talk to you through it that are free. It's learn those ways. It's like there's documentations, there's websites where you can get books and stuff to help with that. Oh, okay. No, no, thanks. Thanks, Jason, for the answer. Yeah, I'm just motivated, just um, out of the the roof uh, of the information that you share here. Fellow IT support technician where I started, it's like, dude, you got this. It's because that troubleshooting that you you bring to the table already as being IT support and having to come up with different troubleshooting, that is going to serve you well in this industry. You're already ready for this industry. That's, you got this. Yes. Cool. No, that thanks, my thanks Jason, for, the, for that. No worries. Thanks for your question, my friend. Uh, Jay, was it, I think it's Jennifer next. Have I got that right? Uh, no, I'm not sure. It's like at this think, point. I think it was Jennifer. Everybody was switching around. It's like... <laughs> Jennifer, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you, Thomas. And hello, Jason. Hello. Happy to be here. And I, Jennifer Stowell, I'm the current CEO of ProVentures. And I've been exploring the transformative potential that we have with BCIs, especially when it pertains to medicine. And I'm interested in learning what you think about Elon Musk achieving the first human brain chip implantation with Neuralink and how this particular technology will shape our lives going forward into the future. I will say, first of all, it wasn't Elon Musk. It was the scientists and the technologists. It's like one of the things that always has gotten me, and, it's, and I'm just being honest about it, is that Tesla was not Elon Musk. Tesla was the inventors of the vehicle. Tesla was the involvement of all the people. Star SpaceX was the scientists and the rocket scientists that were there. He provided money because he got bought out because he failed at, at the, his PayPal wannabe situation. And he used that money to great advantage. And he's very good with the money. He's very good with the hype. And he's very good with selling contracts that weren't really there by telling, you know, that they had a lot of government contracts when they didn't. And he made this stuff work. So he's a great social engineer and he's a great hacker. I will not fault him on that. But the one thing that is obviously seen from his buying Twitter is that he's not the super genius everybody wants to ascribe him to. If the 
technology and the, the scientists have the neural link and they can do it right and they're doing it safely, I'm all for it. But I don't think that we just jump on the bandwagon because of a guy who thought that the pie-shaped Cybertruck was going to be the wave of the future says that we should put chips in our brain. It's, I'm sorry, it's if you've understood the problems that they have with Teslas, it's you would not be volunteering being the first one to have that chip in your brain. And at the same time, I have to acknowledge I am not in the situation that this technology is for. People think of the technology that it's, it's going to be some kind of, oh, I'm going to be connected to the web. That may be a re, an iteration of several generations from now. What the main go for it right now is and should be is I am a, a quadruple amputee and now I have a link in the brain that can directly go to the prosthetics and help me walk again, help me live my life in a better semblance than I was. So yes, those people are going to take that risk. Those people, it is worth the risk because they are going to get a different opportunity of life and a different quality of life if that neural link is successful. And there are people that are out there that are willing to face death being the consequences versus the life they're living now. But yes, it's like as long as science and the people who created the, the who manipulate the stuff and, and created the stuff the way it is, as long as they don't take advantage of that desperation and they do it responsibly and do it better than the bulletproof windows of the Cybertruck, then I think it will be a great advantage for humanity. But I don't think we just say, oh, Elon Musk is a genius. We should do what he's saying because this is the same idiot who walked into Twitter headquarters with the kitchen sink and it's him when he should have brought a toilet. So yeah, I hope it works out. Thank you so much for your input. That was lovely. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for your question. I don't want to mess up her name, but she's definitely yeah, next. Yeah, 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 she is. Right. Uh, just kidding. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Hi. Hello. 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 Hi, Jason. Hi, Thomas. It was really nice. cool listening to you. I really am so glad that I actually paused Mr. Robot to listen to this. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I'm just starting uh, cybersecurity. I just started uh, studying cybersecurity. I come from uh, like a biological science background, but I've always like loved biology. One thing you said was that you do what you do that and get someone to pay you for that. That really sounds in. And um, as a very curious person, I end up like liking so many parts of cybersecurity that I am still like struggling to know which one exactly takes my interest. What advice would you give someone like me that is just starting the journey? Well, you said you started off in, in biomedical, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, then malware research. It's because malware is nothing but just a pathogen trying to invade networks. And you're trying to figure out ways to contain it, how it spreads, what the infection points are, and try to trace it back to the first carrier that started it. Also, specializing in improving the safety and security of devices. Look at all the different insulin pumps and other hospital equipment that have hard-coded passwords in them that can be compromised. It's like, 
how a Flipper Zero can do a Bluetooth uh, deauthentication for people's insulin uh, pump apps that are on their iPhones. So yeah, there are plenty of fields that you are going to take to naturally because it involves some of the stuff that you're already interested in, but then it adds into that security side of it as well. Mm. All right. Thanks. Cool. Is that helpful? Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. Thanks for your question. I believe it was Terrell. 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 How you doing, Terrell? How you doing, my friend? Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Terrell, but you can just call me Seven, man. Can you guys hear me? Yes. yes. Yeah, we got you, mate. We got you. So, yeah, no, I, first and foremost, Jason, man, really appreciate your authenticity. I think that's one of the key things that I've heard as I've been listening to this broadcast and, and Thomas has been doing a great job with asking questions. And really the only question I have is a guy who's, I've traversed many different areas of, I want to say, computer science in the field and cyber, cybersecurity. And it, it's mostly my question is for you to answer to the benefit of the others out there who I'm hearing, I'm seeing, they're saying, I, I'm just getting started. I don't know where I want to be or how can I do this? One of the things that you mentioned that for me shined in this entire segment is you said, what do you know? What can you do and how could it be helpful? And I also appreciate you for being honest about certification, education, and the aspect of once you do those things, once you get those things, that's not the end to really utilize the wealth of knowledge that you go through these hard, we go through these hard certifications to get these big grandiose titles, but then people just say they treat it like a rubber stamp and they don't utilize that backbone of knowledge. So if you, could you please expound for us on the what, the what can you do and how could it be helpful to bolster the confidence of the people out there who are wondering what do I bring to the table? That's my question. If you could do that for me, sir, it would be great. Yeah. I, I, I will start off with this one important fact. It's like I used to have a CISSP. I used to have a, a, a GSEC. It's like a GCFA, a GCIH. I had a lot of different certifications, but I will tell you one of the biggest benefits of having the CISSP and the Security Plus and the GSEC and the CH, what you should be getting from those is not the answer to your questions or how to go through that. It lets you know what questions you need to Google, what kind of things are out there. We keep looking at certifications as a solution. What they're doing is just shining lights on areas that you didn't know may have existed. It's, that's one of the things that I... I, I stress to people because when I talk about how I'm not a high school uh, uh, a graduate and I, I did not go to college, I'm not knocking those colleges. College is amazing. Formal education is amazing. Education is amazing because it tells you the things you didn't know you should have been asking. I had to go around and hack together things and do things so difficultly because I didn't know, oh, there was an easier way to do it. There was a different step because I didn't know to ask that question. So you should be looking at these certifications and not the actual test. You should be looking at 
the uh, study work, the ways that you study for it as ways to tell you what you need to know more about or what things that are out there. Google will do the rest. It's like you're using, you should be using these certifications to understand your job is not to know everything. Your job is to know how to ask the questions to get the answers you need to solve everything. And that is the key. And that is what we keep overlooking. It's not just about knowing it. It's about figuring out how that to acknowledge that we don't know it, but we know enough to ask the right questions to get the answer that we need. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, my mate. Does that, does that answer your question, my friend? No, I think, yeah, that was excellent. And, and I wanted him to harp on that. Again, everything he said was spot on because I see a lot of people in the industry. Again, they, we, they get the certification. And, and just real quick, before I let the next person up, is I remember once I got my certifications, I'm a gearhead. I'm, I'm one of the people. I'm at my lights on all times of the night, looking for answers, keeping that curiosity going. And I remember people just going, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do this. And it's interesting. One of the things Jason mentioned about the, the coming from the help desk background, when you get into a, a P1 bridge and all of the senior people don't have a clue, I think he gave the one individual some great advice coming from the back end of all that investigation, triaging, and looking for answers. You get into a bridge once you get up into these big levels of cybersecurity. He's 100% correct. It does help, no matter if it's parsing through application, if you're looking through network logs, if you're trying to figure out something with virtualization that works. And like I said, I had to get him to answer that question. So people who are out there that have that question in the pit of their stomachs are saying, what do I bring to the table? How can it be helpful? I think that's going to serve them very well. So I appreciate you, brother, on that one. And I'm good. No worries, my friend. And let me add something to what you were saying. It's like one of my observations of being here for so long and, and doing the things that I've done is I've understood and I've come to realize that the people that are the ones that are the most telling you that you're trying too hard or you're doing too much or you're being unnecessary or you're being overstepping your, your bounds or your place are the ones who feel too comfortable where they're at. And instead of advancing like you are, they would rather just hold you back so you would stay there with them. It's, and that's the way you should always look at it. It's, they're the ones that just want you to be where they're at instead of trying to strive to where you're going. And those are the people you should be leaving behind. Amen to that, brother. Thank you. Cool. No worries. Thank you. Thank yes, you for your question, Victoria. Victoria, yeah, I'm just getting you up, Victoria. Second. Hey, Victoria, how you doing? You got a question for Jason? You're a little bit quiet. We can just hear you. Can you up your mic a little bit? We, we can just hear you. You're just quiet. If you can get louder, great. But if you can't, don't worry. We can still just hear you. I, I can't, but hopefully Thomas will be able to translate. I'm partially yeah. deaf. And it's I translate, bro. Yeah. Go on, Victoria. Okay. Far, far away. I'll, I'll, I'll listen carefully, Victoria. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no worries, Victoria. Um, Jason, basically, what tips have you got, bro, for 
uh, parents keeping their children safe uh, online? First initial steps, software, gadgets, anything like that? I don't have any software to recommend. If you want to keep your children safe, it's like the best way to do that is through communication. It's like my children, it's like when they were on the internet, they understood that I did know there was no expectation of privacy on their devices. But at the same time, they knew that I trusted them enough that I was not going to be just looking for something bad. It's, and I told them that, and I trusted them enough to communicate with them about the threats that are out there and let them know that every once in a while for their safety, I would make sure that they had the privacy settings correct on their devices, that I would have to check to make sure that the places they're going to aren't infecting their systems with something malicious. It's all about communication. It's like your children are at a place where it's, I was, I'm Gen Xer. So that means it's, they didn't care if I lived or died. It's like we had the metal monkey bars. It's get in before dark. And it's like any way you can, and you'll be fine. I think in this day and age, what we need to have your children know more than anything else is not telling them all the things they can't do, but to properly show them the dangers that are out there waiting for them. Properly defend, help them defend themselves. Let them understand the long-lasting impact of social media and how that picture stays out on the internet forever and that their private accounts aren't so private. It's show them how their user ID and what they've used as a user ID can come back to haunt them for a job interview. Show them the dangers that are out there for people uh, connecting that you think is a friend of yours when it's actually someone in a different state trying to, to talk to them. It's let them understand those things. Show them the dangers and communicate that you're there to help them navigate it and support them with it. Because if they see you as the one telling them no, then they're the then you're just telling them you're the main problem they need to circumvent. It's you need to show them what the real problems out there they need to circumvent and that you're there to help them navigate. That is, I don't think the software is going to save them. It's the actual parent involvement that will save the kids. Cool. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for the love heart emojis in the audience as well. Does that, does that is that helpful, Victoria? Thank you. Thank you for your question. Just get uh, Jay, you're up, my friend. I'm just uh, getting you up now. One second. Hey, Jay, how you doing? I'm doing well. Um, thank you for taking my question. Uh, Jason, this has been incredible. I'm also a Generation X. <laughs> Xer and you survived, yeah, barely. Um, my, Does anybody know this? Don't get too far into it, but my, my father's ex-military. He had done some intelligence things with the government and he's a gun dealer. Being raised in that household is... Uh, it, it was unique, but the reason why I raised my hand is because I wanted to ask a couple of questions here about, so I've been in the end, been in affiliate marketing for 17 years and since 2007, I've seen a lot of things. I've interacted with hackers and I've always been very curious about learning more and getting certifications in cybersecurity. I'm in an interesting position right now because I'm starting a consultancy where what I'm wanting to do is bring the AI technology 
into affiliate marketing and also consult them on, how do I say this? More ethical ways to capture leads and to capture the people, because let's be honest, a lot of what goes on in affiliate marketing is, for lack of a better way to describe it, hacking. And I would like to roll into what I'm doing with this business, cybersecurity component, but I'm not really sure where to start. But I can tell you, having worked in like affiliate networks where SMS was a big thing, emailing was a big thing. I've, I know for a bank that I've, people have tried to hack me before because my name is really out there in that industry. What would be the best place for me to start to, to start getting certifications in cybersecurity? And so then I can roll that into that consultancy business. I think. One of the first ones, I'm always going to say this because, because first of all, it's because of, of the price is, is one of the most affordable ones is the Security Plus. I've done the CISSP and the Security Plus, and the difference that I saw in those two certifications was the CISSP had a lot more fancier words, and it took longer, and it was harder to get through, and the Security Plus was cheaper, and it was, it was, and, and if you, Take the CISSP, you don't really need the Security Plus. But if you take the Security Plus, I also think you don't really need the CISSP. I think they complement each other. They're part of the same thing, but they're teaching the same kind of things too. It gives you an inch deep, a mile wide perspective on information security. It helps showing you the questions that you need to ask. So I would start definitely there. Thank you. Thank you very much. No Thank worries. You. Thanks for your question, Jay. Cool. Jason, thank you, my friend, mate. That was, that was awesome, mate. I love your, I love your energy, mate. I love your information. I love the way you speak, mate. You, you genuinely, mate, you are inspirational, mate, and promised you an hour. I know you're a mega busy man. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, bro. It's been really good fun, mate. Have you enjoyed it? I have. And it's, and I like to be unfiltered. I get paid to lie for a living. I don't do it for free. So it's like, usually I'm not going to filter that much or try to like, make my words sound appealing to somebody else. That's not what I'm getting paid for right now. <laughs> mate, honestly, mate, really like that, Jason. Thank, thank you, mate. And uh, is, there anything that, is there anything that we haven't covered that we should have done or do you think we did okay? Or? I, I would just like to leave it at this. It's, this is a, not just a general information security thing, but I think something that, that I've been trying to get out there more is with AI, with technology, with information security, you have to understand that these technologies, they allow you to be anything you want to be. It's like they give you the tools to become whatever you want to be. And when you're thinking about that, remember one of those options is to always be kind. It's you can be anything in the world. You can also be kind. It's and start being more empathetic and understanding of others and, and where they're coming from, not just from your perspective. And I think that will benefit everybody in the long run. Yeah, thank you, Jason. I think that's a really good note to finish on, mate. And uh, again, mate, thank you for your thank you for your time again, mate. I've really enjoyed this one, mate. It's been been really good, buddy. Thank you, mate. No worries. Thanks for having thank me. You. Thank I you. Will Thanks talk everyone. to you all around. I'm sure. <laughs> Cheers, Jason. Thank you. Thanks everyone for joining. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.